0: Welcome back to How They Train. Today, we have ex-pro triathlete Luke McKenzie joining us. Luke had a career that most athletes could really only dream of. For most people, winning one Ironman title is massive, but I think Luke won about 10 of them. He also came second at the Ironman World Championships in probably my personal favorite performance at Kona by anyone of all time. Um, it was it was sort of the first performance that I watched and thought, that's what I want to do when I grow up. So uh, it's a really, real honor having you on, Luke. Um, thanks for joining me, mate.
1: Oh wow! What an introduction. That's—I uh, had no idea that I, I'd, I, sort of touched anyone in that sort of way. You know, like to say that it, that was a performance that really uh, inspired you. I'm—I'm honoured. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'll never—I'll actually never forget that that day. Um, I sort of, like I was telling you a bit off air, I got into triathlon a little bit before that, but I was pretty young. And and your your year 2013, where. Where you um where you were sort of leading um most of the day at, at World Champs. I was just watching it in absolute awe. Like to me you were sort of a bit of a superhero that day. I'm like, he can't lose. He's not gonna like it's impossible for him to <laughs> lose here. And and then when you did, I sort of I know it wouldn't have affected me anywhere near as you, but I was at that age where where you were sort of a little bit of an idol of mine, and and seeing seeing you you come second that day, it, it it felt like I I lost that day as well. So, but it was it was an amazing performance, and and still to this day, I actually go back and watch it every now and then and just just reminisce.
1: Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, no, it was obviously one of the highlights of of a very long career. But uh, yeah, I got close. I'll be forever the one of those guys, you know that that. Almost won Hawaii, but uh, that's uh, that's just part and parcel of of racing. I think there's uh, always got to be a first loser, and that was me on that day. So yeah, it was a it was a good run that day. I, I, it's still you know etched in my mind um, very vividly. All the you know the emotion of the finish line and and having my family there and celebrating with fa- friends and family. It was it was definitely a highlight of my career.
0: Yeah, and and like there's so much to go into leading up to that point, but like I guess now we're talking about it, and just like that's what I'm excited to talk to you about, um, and like a few of your other races, and particularly some of your Ironman wins, which were massive. But but let's just go straight into that day at Kona. So it was 2013. Um, can you sort of like walk me through and talk to me about what had been happening in the lead up to that? How your training had been going? What had it been looking like?
1: Yeah, I mean 2013. Uh had been a very um it was a it was a big year in a lot of ways uh I guess I'd have to go back to 2012 where I sort of I had a a relatively good Kona about 15th odd I think I I didn't crack the top 10 that year but I left there quite hungry wanting to you know to go back to Kona and do something something big there and um yeah, early in 2013, I had a marriage breakup. I think that really rocked me and set me back a little bit early in the year. I went to Ironman Carbo and DNF'd. I just, you know, I, I wasn't mentally in it. I was um, not focused on the job at hand. And that really, that day, I was sort of like, well, I walked away from Carbo and thought, all right, this is not ha- how I'm going to progress forward and and make an impact at at Kona this year. And so, um, having that time to myself, I really sort of spent, um, just knuckled down into my training over that summer period in the States. I was living over in America and, um, I was actually ready to go and, uh, race. I'm in Brazil for the second time I'd won it in 2010. And, uh, funny story. I, I went out with a couple of Aussie kids that were in town. Uh, I don't know if you remember Mitch Robbins and uh, Clayton Fattel were actually staying with me over in, in California. And uh, we went out for dinner and I, I washed my passport and, uh, which was a bit of a bit of a, a boo-boo because that meant I couldn't go to Brazil the next week. So uh, ironically, I decided to do Iron Man Cants. And so that ended up being quite a, um, that, that led me on the path to going to Cairns and I ultimately won that race. Uh, I, I had really good form in Cairns and, uh, actually beat Maka that day. Maka came second. And, and one of the things that probably resonated from that performance at Cairns in 2013 was Maka said to me at the finish line, he said, mate, if you race like that in Kona, you will win. And I looked at him and I'm like... You're kidding, right? This is just cans, you know. Like when I get to Kona, all the players are there. I was, you know, I I took it on board, but at the same time, I knew Mako was still gunning to go to Kona, and you know I knew, you know, the pedigree of the athletes that were that were still competing there. And I thought, oh well, I'll I'll take that on board. And um, yeah, the the training continued really well through the year. I did my usual training camp with Crowe leading into Kona, and that just went that just went really well. I, I was feeling great and again we did our you know our pre-race routine um couple of brick sessions and stuff with Crowy over that period leading into that race and um probably for the first time ever in that particular session i outran Crowy in our energy lab run off the bike and same thing Crowy said to me he said mate if you if you just run like that on on race day you can win this race and and this is a guy that was there to win the race himself and i was I was thinking, you know, Crowey's won this three times. I'm like, he's, you know, he wouldn't just say that. And I think I took a lot of confidence from having those two guys, um, really backing me. And I think, I think on race day, I, yeah, I, I I got to the start line. I was just so amped to put in a big performance. And I I was, I knew I was riding well, and I knew that any move that was going to be made, that that was going to have to be the one to go with. Um, you know, I, I I knew that my run wasn't necessarily my strength and there was a lot of good runners in the field and I I um I was able to 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 get in a good bike break with uh Andrew Starkovitz and um came off the bike uh in second just behind Starkey, but with a really good lead off, you know, over guys like Sebi Kinley and um who else was there, you know, Andreas rayler um these guys that we usually ride up there off the bike in this race. And I, you know, I think just racing with a little bit more, you know, I I'd I'd been there. This was probably my eighth appearance at Kona at this stage. I think I was just racing with a little bit more um, confidence and, and I knew what I was in for. And I really paced myself really well in that marathon. I felt the only, the only downfall in my race all day was just that, little bit in the energy lab where I, I think I just got a little bit low on nutrition and, you know, Freddie was just super strong in the, in the energy lab and he, he, uh, he was able to edge by me, but, you know, he, he didn't get too far away from me. And I, I think the one thing that I was proud of that day, even though I did come second is I, I kept fighting, you know, I I, I still thought that there was still potential. That, you know, if I'd gone through a bad spot, you know, Freddie might, might go through one we still had 10 odd K to run. And, We've seen it before, people have been passed right up into the line. So I kept fighting and I th- I think I only finished about three minutes behind him at the finish line. But yeah, I, I can truly say that I gave it my all that day. And there's there was nothing I, I had left to give. You know, I ended up on an IV after all the, you know, fanfare and uh what's it called? The you know, I, I was just so high from the experience. It was it was such a big achievement, a life ach- life goal that I'd achieved. I, you know, all the yeah, you know, it finally worn off and I you know, I ended up in an IV, but I think that's sort of like, that was my pathway to Kona that year. And I think that it was just a like an accumulation of, you know, everything that had led me there in the in the year prior.
0: Yeah. And like, like you sort of talked about, like your bike on that day, but even going back to Cairns, um, that like those can, that Cairns ride. And then that ride at the world championships are uh, like, they're arguably two of the best rides anyone's ever done in the sport. Um, especially if you think about, changes in technology and, and stuff like that now. I would love to know what your time at Kona that day would look like now in terms of a, a pure time because it would obviously be a lot faster just with, you know, positions and bikes and wheels and helmets and that sort of thing. But that four, I think you rode like um about 421, 422 that day yeah. at Kona and yeah. it was really like you and Kinlay and, and Starkovitz and everyone else was, was like up to like eight – nine, 10 minutes behind you guys. Um, so what did it sort of look like in that, that year? What, What, what were you doing that was making your bike just so like crazy strong?
1: So ironically, um, in 2012, 2011, 2012, I spent, uh, those two years training under Siri Lindley in, um, in America. Um, and I guess I, I felt like I'd lost my bike edge over those two years as much as Siri really helped improve my running. And I love the the environment that, that Siri had there in Santa Monica and here in Noosa. Um, I, I just didn't feel like my bike was where it needed to be. And I think, um, what that did allow me though, is those two really good years of running where I felt I got the work in on the running, but I wasn't quite getting there in the racing. Um, when I went back and just did a lot of the work in early 2013 back to my, my old proven training rides and, and and things that I felt needed to get my bike edge back. I think that that sort of culminated in bringing the two together and, and hence I had a really good 2013. So um, yeah, I I really rate the riding around San Diego and it was around that time where I, I was, you know, I was single again and I just spent a lot of time on my bike and I just, I just loved riding my bike. And, um, you know, and it, it feels good to hurt on a bike too, once you get really fit. So I was, I was doing some really big sessions and, um, had uh, a good mate that Crowy probably, I think mentioned in his podcast, Pete Coulson, he lives in uh, San Diego. And, you know, I started hooking up with him again and, and doing a lot of motor pacing work, just doing, couple of our really hard threshold bike sessions, just your good old five by fives and stuff like that, going down and doing our Torrey Pine Hills reps, hill reps down in, uh, in San Diego there. And it was just back to good old fashioned hard work, I think in on the bike and, and just being very consistent with it. Um, So uh, that's probably where I felt like I, I, you know, I, I got my, my bike legs back in 2013.
0: Yeah. It's funny you bring up Crowey because the, like we've had um, Crowey and, and then Macca on the, on the podcast and now you, and pretty much um, what they said that made their bike, you know, the best, like the, when their bike was their best was just sounded like what you said, like mm-hmm. just honest, hard work, a lot of volume, big sessions. Um, and, and was yours, was your training sort of based on, what guys like them had been doing or did you create your own sort of philosophies?
1: I think I was very heavily influenced by Crowe and Macra. I trained with both of them from, you know, I lived with Crowe in 202, 203, 204 over in the States. Um, And that was, you know, obviously I'd, um, you know, I went over there as a young kid just trying to break onto the American circuit, but I had a lot of these older guys that were, you know, Seven, eight, nine, ten years older than me. That I that I had to to really, um, you know, t- just absorb the the what they were doing, and and I, I was able to train with them. Uh, I was very fortunate that they allowed me to do so. So I think just uh, a lot of those sessions were passed down, I, I guess, from just generation to generation, really. And I think that was just where I sort of, you know, I felt that that good consistent hard work it was it was no real science to it back then i think that that training has definitely got a whole lot more scientific since since we were racing but yeah that's that's probably what did it really just uh those guys passing down their knowledge to me
0: and at that at that point so like 2013 this year we're talking about it's sort of it's just it's just at the end of when those guys sort of were past their prime those guys sort of probably had their best races by sort of 2010 2011. Mm-hmm. Um by 2013, do you think that everyone was still training that way? Was everyone cuz no. in their time, they've sort of told me that everyone sort of did the same thing, but yeah. but you guys were sort of the new era. And were you all just doing 35 40 hour weeks the same as they were?
1: Basically, yes. And I think that's probably something, you know, I obviously I started my career and even though Crowe uh was you know, several years older than me. I started my Ironman career in 2004, actually before crowy <laughs> yeah. and not too much longer after Maka. He started around 2000, I think, or, or 2001. So yeah, I, I, I guess um, I trained that way since I met those guys for as long as they did. So it was the, the issue, I guess, that I came up against is the Jan enos of the world and, and these, guys that, you know, Jan and I are the same age, but he came from a totally different uh, background of racing and and training philosophy. And I think, you know, it it was, that was around the period too, 2013, 2014, when Jan and Sebi and these guys really stepped onto the scene with a a whole new approach to, to training. And I think probably that 2013 year is probably the last year that you probably could have gotten away with that big volume, um, probably lower intensity training, but just bigger volume training and more just that bread and butter stuff, um, that we'd love to do, but it just, it's proved now that this day and age, it's just not as effective to, to be winning races. It's just stepped up another level.
0: Yeah, that's so. Like, I'm so interested by you saying that because this is stuff that you don't really hear about unless you're in the world. Um. So, when you say that, what do you what do you actually mean in in how, what did they done that was different? What is this? You know, what did Yarn and Sebi and those kind of guys brought to the game that made sort of the the old you know big volume Australian style training obsolete?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it was. It was probably in 2014, maybe 2015, I was doing a bit of training with Yarn here in Noosa. And, you know, this is a guy that I'm racing against and that I'm trying to beat. And I'd be going out on training rides with this guy and, you know, Yarn would be like, okay, now it's time for me to peel off and do my my prescribed session that my, my coach has sent me. See you later, bye. But in and around those times, Yarn um, was sort of, Almost offering me advice, and here's a guy that's only brand new on the on the Ironman scene, but also, you know, um telling me, I, I guess that he's like, oh, I feel like you've detrained all your speed, and you, you you need to like focus on on this new new way of thinking for training, and and this is a guy I'm trying to race, and he's he was like actually bringing this up in conversation. You know, it's Jan's pretty upfront like that, and. Um, it was something to take on board because I I really, I did believe it because you saw that when Jan and and Javier and, and and Sebastian and these guys came onto the scene around that time, the racing significantly, it got faster. It got, it got seriously faster. And that was that, you know, if you, if you weren't on that train, you missed it. And so, um, yeah, I think that was probably uh, around the time where i you know, I sort of started to, you know, I'd, I'd had a long career at that stage and I, I just, I saw the, I saw the racing getting faster and faster. And by 2018, I just knew that that, that was, you know, the new the new wave was here. There was no rate, there was no uh, competing with that. Um, That was the point where the, the racing really made a big change, I think.
0: Yeah. And do you think that, that, so when Jan and you were training and he was like giving you this advice, did, did you straight away just go, okay, I'm going to change everything and do it and, and, and did your whole training style change from that moment or was it more of a like, fuck this guy, you know, I've been in this sport for this long, I've come second at Kona. Um, yeah. Like I'm proven, like I don't have to listen to this and just sort of kept doing your own thing. How did, how did it actually work and what happened after that?
1: Yeah, no, I mean I, um, I still went on to have several really good races in the, in the years beyond Kona um some some of my best performances if not my best performances after Kona in 2013 but i think it was hard for me to adjust my training mentality and my training style and it was a very reluctant change i you know i i, I was trying to to bring a lot more of that speed back into into my racing by going a little bit shorter in my racing trying to do some more olympic distance racing and you know, I had a little bit, bit of success there in uh, in integrating that into my Ironman racing, but the honest truth was, of ten odd years of of that um, that training style, it was very hard to detrain myself from it. So, um, you know, and to 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 evolve to that that new way of of training, and you know, it's it's funny enough that you know some of my best races came off the back of some really hard. Um, sort of F1 style racing, where um, you know, 2015, I I ran the inaugural Island House race in the Bahamas, which was back to the good old um, Super Sprint days, I guess, the F1 series sort of days. And I trained my over, you know, from Kona that year right through to to Busselton, pretty much just on pure threshold training. There was no long stuff, you know. I'd, I'd done plenty of that over the years, and went to busso and just went, you know what, I'm um, to see how this goes off off. just some really short, sharp, you know, nothing more than 22, 24 hours a week of training, which was significantly less training that I was doing, but it was all very intense and very short and sharp. And, you know, I ended up having a great race in busso and, and probably my best ever performance really. So I think that that sort of proved, you know, beyond that, you know, the next year, Lorenzo followed the same path and then went even quicker. And so I think it was a big awakening to a lot of the, a lot of the athletes that in the years to come, that 2015, 2016 period when we were, you know, integrating that racing and still, you know, racing fast over the Ironman. And now you're seeing guys like Christian Blumenfeld and um, uh, Gustav Eden, and these guys doing the exact same thing. It's obviously the, the, the perfect formula, if you ask me.
0: Yeah, I, I like I don't write anything down for these, but I have a few things in my head that I, I really want to talk to people about, um, particularly if I know your career well, and I I feel like I know yours pretty well without ever ever actually you know seeing it firsthand, and and something I really wanted to talk about was that two thousand and fifteen year because outside looking in, it sort of seemed like after two thousand and thirteen, through that sort of like two thousand and fourteen year, like you didn't from like obviously I don't know, but it didn't, it didn't seem like everything was clicking for you in 2014. And then uh, 20, 2015, you sort of, um, you know, you, you had a really good race in Cairns, you sort of, sort of early in the year. And I thought, Oh, you know, like Luke might be back on here for Kona. And then I'm pretty sure you DNF that day at Kona. And I was like, Fuck, yeah. I thought, I thought he was going to have yeah. another good year. And, Me too. <laughs> and then you came out at Busso only a couple of months later. And I think like, again without being you you can't really you can't really know for sure but that basso performance i just look at as your best performance ever but maybe maybe only like a close second would be that kona in in 2013 but (laughs) but geez it was it was a massive day like that's yeah up till that actually up till that point that was probably as impressive a performance over the ironman distance that just about anyone had, had put on like that's how good it was um so, yeah, I was really curious to hear about what had happened in that period, even like that whole period between Kona in 2013 and Busso in 2015.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, obviously, there were, you know, the hype really builds up after you come second at Kona. And I think, you know, I, I I felt like there was a whole lot more people paying attention to me in 2014. And, yeah, obviously with that came pressure. Um, I was very excited to race at Ironman Melbourne in 2014. and you know, I'd never had much success in Melbourne with any races that I did down there. It was sort of a bit of my voodoo. And, but I, you know, being the Asia Pacific champs and being in my, you know, a, the biggest race in my home country. And, you know, I was, I guess the next big hope in Kona, I, I, you know, I felt compelled to go and race there. And, um, I was, I had an absolute shocker in Melbourne. I, I got out of the water with the group, but I stupidly um, yanked the buckle off my helmet in T1 and spent about three minutes trying to rethread it before I could get it on my head and just race absolutely stupidly after that, trying to catch up and, um, just basically blew my race to smithereens early in the bike, just trying to catch up. I remember riding the first hour at about 340 Watts or something, which is in, it's stupid. You'd, you'd never going to have a good race. Um, by doing that. And I, I think I, I had to finish to get my Kona validation. That's right. So I, so I trudged my way through the marathon. I think I came 12th or 14th or something like that, but I'd punched my Kona ticket and I thought, all right, well, that's done. That, you know, that wasn't what I expected after coming second in Kona, but, you know, live to fight another day. And uh, exciting thing about that year too, is I, all I did have to do was validate. So I, finally opened up the chance for me to go and race at challenge Roth so uh in um actually just a few weeks after my firstborn daughter Wynn was born we went over to challenge Roth and, and raced there in germany and although I didn't have a great day i I finished fifth or fifth or sixth or something like that but again just not one of the I mean going over to Germany and racing the Germans at home it was just you know it was like racing Kona you know it was it, It it was one of those races that you have to be absolutely on, and uh, you know I felt like I was in good shape, but I I did not have a great race in Roth that day. And you know fifth was fifth or sixth, I forget what I came, but it 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 was still one of those things. I was like, you know, I I just came second in Kona. You know, this is not how I imagined the year after. You know, coming second in Kona was going to go and. So I went back to Kona and I I felt, you know, that that was probably the first year Yarn was racing too, I think. So there was a lot of talk and hype around Yarn that year. And um, yeah, the the dynamics on the bike, obviously um, I, I guess I I tried to apply the same formula that had worked for me the year prior, but uh, all of a sudden there was just all that extra firepower in that front group. And I guess, I guess I felt like a bit of a marked man. I think, you know, when you've put in a performance like that the year before, no one's really, you know, everyone wants a piece of that. And they were like, well, that's, that's how Luke got up the road last year. So I'm not going to let him go this time. So it felt significantly harder in 2014 to get away on the bike. And, you know, I think I, you know, I, I think that was probably where, in hindsight, my mentality didn't need to be about getting away on the bike, but it that was always the mentality. I I think I grew up idolizing guys like Chris Lieto and Norman Stadler and guys like that. And I just felt that was my way that I was my opportunistic way to, to win Kona. And, you know, it's just not always going to pan out for you if you race like that. So yeah, I think I came 14th in the year after, after the big result in 13 and that sort of left me, Pretty hungry. You know, I'd, I'd had a pretty rubbish year that year. And, you know, if you look back at it in hindsight, there was no big wins like the year before. And, you know, obviously having all this new sponsorship commitments and, and pressure, I felt, okay, 2015 had, a, had to be a big year. And so I sat down at the start of the year and thought, okay, right, what did I do in 13 that worked? I went to Ironman Cairns. I love that race. Let's put that on the schedule. And so went back to prepared exactly the same. I probably couldn't have gone. You know any better in the preparation for that and again I, I was able to win Man Cans and I thought okay we're back you know I haven't lost it we're we're back on track here um we were you know just around that time too I, I was in, you know I got engaged to Beth and she really started to come on the scene you know she'd you know we'd been together you know uh, 18 months or so by now and she you know, she went and won Ironman Switzerland just after that, so we're on a real high for those June-July period of of 2015. And I think I came back and trained here, came second to Burks or Terenzo or someone at the Sunny Coast 70.3. And you know, that week, uh, that month out from Kona, I thought, right, everything's taking shape here. This is sort of following that progression of of 2013. And I got to Kona, and I could not have felt any worse in the race than I did that year in Kona. A lot of people talk about that sort of heavy fatigue you get in Kona where you just, you can't get your heart rate up. You just, you, you I don't know. It was just one of those really sort of days and it was deflating. And I remember, you know, riding in from Kauai high on the hoods and I'd never done that before. I'd always, you know, I felt like that was my, where I really left, you know, tried to make my mark on the race was that, that last 60K of the bike and and to be riding back up on the hoods knowing that my day was probably done, I, um, you know, I was pretty dirty on myself and I pulled off the course that day and just before I got to T2 near the pool there and my dad was there and, you yeah, know, we were in tears, but it, it wasn't about the race. He um, said, mate, I have trying to tell you. I said, what's that, mate? And he said your par, your grandfather just died and it still really it really hurts me to you know? so that day you know I, I dnf'd in kona that day but that was a very emotional day for me and um you know i you know i felt like i'd not only let pa down that day but also you know, all the people that had put all their hard work and sacrifice into into that day so um yeah, it was, it was a bit of a dark day for me in 2015. And after two years of really having a shocker in Kona, um, you know, something had to change. And ironically, it was the first year I was running the Island House race in, in the Bahamas and um, no, maybe it was the second year. Um, sorry, my, my memory's not as good as Crowey's. <laughs> and um, I, I, yeah, it was I was doing all that speed work again that, you know, I'd, I'd I told you about like after Kona, after that DNF, I, I just didn't have the the motivation or the capacity to be going out and belting myself over the big, long sessions. Um, you know, okay. I can obviously tell my, my grandfather, the passing away really rattled me and I was sort of a bit distracted from the sport. And I just, you know, I, I felt the days I went out to try and do the long stuff for busso or I just, I didn't feel like doing it, so I just diverted to just this short, sharp training. I thought, well, you know, maybe after the, you know, the big build-up for Kona, maybe that's probably what I needed. And yeah, so I did the Island House race, and it was fun, you know, racing against Javier and the and all the the guys that raced there. And I think I came off that, you know, it lifted my spirits a lot, and it, it, you know, sort of gave me a little bit of purpose going into Buso. And yeah, you know, like I said, I I lined up at Buso just did not give a fuck. I just wanted to go out there and just go as hard as I could. <laughs> and, um, it was very, very choppy swim that day. And I had a bit of a shocker swim and got out about two minutes down on, um, we uh, forget the French guy's name, Dennis, Dennis Chiv- Chivreau, Chivreau. And, um, I thought, all right, I, I got to bridge across to this guy and I, I got across to him pretty quickly. And and I was feeling so good. I thought, let's just keep pushing, you know, I put gap, put gaps on guys like James Cunnamar and, um, who else was there? Dave Dello, these guys, you know, I'd I'd significantly dropped them and I thought, you know, I just need to keep pushing. And, um, I remember coming around 90 K, it was a two lap course and I was coming back into town and my, and my Garmin was reading like two hours for that first night. Like, just before that 90k split. And I went through the went through that that halfway in 202 and I thought, 202 or 203. And I thought, hold on, I'm on here, I'm on for a really good time here. If I keep pushing this pace. And so that second lap, I just I just went for it. And I, I honestly did not even think about the run. I was like, I just want to try and ride a really good fast time. This is my opportunity to ride a 4.0 something and, you know, really just have a good crack and so I think I rode a 408 or something like that and got off the bike with a 20 odd minute lead and from there it was I just enjoyed the marathon. It was it was I I didn't run an ultra fast marathon, I think I around 253 or something like that. But it was just a patient, controlled I just had fun, you know, all my my family, everyone was there, just it was such a good vibe. And so I think it was probably not until about I felt like I knew I could break eight hours that day, but it wasn't really until like that last 5K where I where I knew that I'd actually, you know, I could do it. And, um, yeah, I think that was, you know, that was obviously one of my better performances, uh, the 755 there in Busso. But the, the funny thing now is that was just the tip of the iceberg for those fast times. And ironically now, I mean, that's 20-odd, 30 minutes off the pace now if you're looking at at what Gustav and, um, and what, um, Christian's doing. But yeah, I mean, I'll take it. I think it was probably, you know, the most pleasing performance after a couple of shitty years.
0: Yeah. Jesus, mate. Thank, firstly, thanks so much for opening up about all that. That was, um, that was.
1: So I got a bit of there. Yeah.
0: I, I almost <laughs> did listening to it. That's, that was, um, yeah, that was, yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. But, but, um, but thank you for it. And, um, just speaking on that that race over in busso like i I just remember watching that race because it was live streamed and um and it was crazy what you did on the bike that day like actually out of this world crazy at that time we sort of you're right we come to expect it a little bit now that that's just how people race in in sort of 2021 but back then that's not how people raced and and i'm pretty sure it was dennis i think I'm pretty sure you did ride like four oh eight and he rode like four twenty-eight. Like you put twenty minutes into the guy who came second. Um and I just remember watching, just like, this guy's crazy. Like this guy just does not give a fuck. He like I just I'm like, there's no way he can not end up walking on this marathon. But but not only did you not walk, you still yeah, you still ran a low two fifty.
1: It was that massive there was a massive risk that was gonna happen because like I said, that was the mentality that day I think, you know, I Sort of, you know, sort of had it a little bit with Ironman racing. You know, I'd been putting in all the work and nothing was really sticking since Kona, and you know, I mean, I, I guess you know, I'd won Cairns earlier in the year, but I, I think once you'd come second at Kona, everything really did come, become about Kona, and just having those two shitty Konas in a row, and you know, I just felt there was a lot more to give there than I had than I'd been getting on the results board. So I think, you know, Busso was just probably you know an accumulation of that pent-up frustration that you know was just unleashed that day
0: and then when you come off a race like that so like that's just a tumultuous two years like the high of Kona into the the pressure and lack of results in 2015 and and some good times with some really shitty tough times in 2015 all culminating in, in arguably your best race of your whole career looking back on it what happens after after that a patch like that like I assume you're going to a break after Busso, and 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 then what? What what's yeah. what's your life look like after that?
1: Yeah, I mean, life got super complicated around then. You know, I, I that that's where it was getting towards the latter part of my career, and I guess I really had to decide whether I was going to keep going and bashing my head against this Kona wall, or if, you know, I wanted to 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 start to look and do some other things, and you know, I'd already had the commitment of running the Island house race. I think we're in the third or fourth year by 2016 and 2016 started, started out quite well. You know, after I decided after that win at Busso that I really didn't need to race again till Cairns in the middle of the year. And we put a lot of um, effort in, into Beth's preparation for Ironman Port Macquarie. And um, obviously I think she's probably touched on how that all ended, but, her suspension that she received after that race really rocked us. We, you know, we just were left absolutely disillusioned, had no faith in the system or, or we just didn't know what had gone on. And I I got to the point where I was like, man, I'd just gone through all these lows and, and, you know, we were back to highs and now we're back to lows again. And, you know, I just, I, I we, it's like, you know we couldn't catch a break you know yeah he had won these two ironmans last year but there was a lot of shitty times between and probably capped off mostly by we came back you know in the middle of all that you know we were still trying to figure out what was going on with beth and you know we flew back to australia for the world champs in malullabah for the world 70.3 and you know i was in the middle of preparing for kona for the umpteenth time and came back to to race there and Had a really shitty little crash out of transition where it was super tight, and we all came out of the water together. And I I crashed out of transition and got back on my bike and lost my shoe and played that catch-up game again. But um, didn't realize I would bent my rear derailleur. And so when we got to the really tough climb on the on the bike course, I ripped my rear derailleur off my my bike. It went straight into the spokes and. I think that day, like I, I was ready to be done with the sport. I was like, this is, you know, I'm training my ass off. I'm doing everything right. I just feel everything's going against me. And, you know, obviously having dad and and Beth and and people around me that were like, no, you've you've got to go back to, you've got to go back to Kona and and see this through. And, you know, I went to Kona and had another shitty day there. I think I, I think I, I walked on the marathon. I remember walking through the, through the aid stations there in the, in the energy lab, telling all the, pho- there was only photographers in there. There was Delhi car was there. Donald morale might've been out there. Just a few of my photographer mates. And I said, mate, this is get this photo. Cause this is the last time you'll see me at this race. And that was the first time I thought about retirement. I didn't want to keep bashing my head against the wall. I it was just sort of made that decision that day, that that was the last Kona I was going to do. And then, you know, I, I sort of, t- took some time off after that. And, um, you know, wanted to, that's when we sort of started the idea of of starting a business and we started Win Republic and that became my life in that stage. And, you know, my second born daughter Marlo was born around the start of that year as well. And so things sort of looked on the up and up, but but not on the triathlon side, it was just, you know, life was progressing and it was a natural progression to, to something else beyond sport. And, you know, I was just, I just kept ticking over the the training and, you know, I, I got halfway through 2017 and, you know, I thought that's not a way to end a career. You know, I've, I've tr- trained for too long and, you know, I've put too much into it and, you know, by this stage, most of the year's gone. So my opportunity to race Kona, you know, I'd, I hadn't done any qualifying races in 2017 and, yeah, I decided that I'd go and do Ironman Wisconsin, which was a good opportunity to go and do something that I'd never done before. You know, I've heard it was a great race in America, and um, yeah, I went to Ironman Wisconsin uh, and won that and punched my Kona ticket for 2018. And there was a lot of deliberation about whether to take it because I just felt that you know, like all Kona had caused me since my second place was was heartache. So <laughs> I, um, but I took it, and uh, ironically. 2018 um, you know Beth came back to racing and took third at Cairns and also qualified so we thought all right we'll we'll both go back to to Kona in 2018 and I think having Beth back I think that really sort of gave me that second wind and I you know I decided that that was definitely you know I wanted to to go back and try and put in one of those performances that I'd done in the past there in Kona and you know my, my best years in Kona probably were from. 09 through to 13 but it, you know it just there's that stubbornness that you just want to go back and prove yourself one more time and you know 2018 I you know I decided I'd I'd never really put in a good result at Ironman Australia and I really wanted to you know I, I started that year pretty strong with the second place behind Marino there and Ironman Australia and I thought right this is you know starting to look on the up and up again and and kind of you know it it went well, but the the racing had really progressed in those few years that I'd sort of been languishing. And, you know, that's, that was when yarn and, um, I think yarn didn't win that year. I think Patrick Langer won that year, but the, the racing really progressed in those few years. And that's, you know, I was, I found myself fairly fair way back in the field. I don't don't exactly know what I came, but I do remember having a little bit of a sprint finish with Lionel and, Tyler Butterfield trying to hold off Daniella I think. <laughs> but um yeah, that was sort of but it was an enjoyable experience and probably a way you know I, I could be happy to close the chapter. It wasn't the best race, it wasn't the worst race, but you know, it was better than the last couple of years and so um I think that that was definitely the day I I remember running with Tyler and and he actually said and said, "Oh, this is my last one too, mate." And I was like, "Yeah, righto." Okay. So <laughs> we uh we, we decided to run that one together and really enjoy it and i did and you know i have no regrets after that i really i really did love going back in 2019 and watching in person watching yarn set that 751 there you know that was one of the highlights of my career was actually just what being there on my bike watching that race uh following yarn in so you know i have no regrets that in 2018 i decided that you know i didn't i didn't want to be going back to Kona anymore
0: yeah, I, there's so many questions to unpack from that. I might I might start at the start. So something I'm really interested in from, from last week's episode talking to Beth, who is obviously your your wife and you own a business together and have a couple of kids, that patched through, um, through Beth's sort of um, uh, doping ban um, that we went into detail about. How did that affect you? Because when I was having that conversation with Beth, I actually thought that because I guess – Again, I, I keep saying this term, but from the outside looking in, um, you were sort of the the big athlete of you and Beth, and Beth was just coming into her career and or into like the the successful part of her career. But but you were this established pro who had been really good and, and one of the you know the top five Ironman guys in the world for the last five six years. Um, so I, I always did wonder how that affected you and 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 whether you know. Um, you whether people were were thinking like oh well is uh, are Luke and Beth in on this together have they have they have they been cheating the whole time that sort of thing and and how that affected your mindset and your racing and your training and yeah everything about that
1: yeah, it really did you know i was I was absolutely gutted for what what happened with Beth and i uh, you know i that's that's exactly the mentality you know like i I know that we'd both been doing this sport with our utmost you know honesty and respect and and you know we 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 were just pure hard workers and to have that all ripped away from you with this you know with this suspension it was just you know, we both took it pretty hard i think you know i'd you know beth dealt with it as well as she could but at the same time, I was, I was angry about the situation. I, I'd, you know, I'd been there day in, day out watching her do all the hard work. And, and it was just a gut wrenching position to be in. And it, like, I I guess I alluded to, I just wasn't enjoying the sport in 2016 because, you know, we, we had put in so much hard work and, and it just was ripped out from under us. And yeah, so I think it took a lot to sort of move on after 2016 and even want to, you know, continue with the sport. But you know as as time progressed, and it looked like you know things you know we we'd started to figure a lot out with what happened with Beth and you know it was you know she she was probably the driving force behind you know let's all right let's look at how are we gonna set ourselves up for life after sport like it really was a wake up call that triathlon wasn't the be all and end all and so I guess you know between you know raising our family and starting a business and um you know we kept we we kept ourselves really active with with our training but um and then ultimately her coming back to racing really sort of gave me that boost again to want to to want to continue with the sport but yeah that that period in 2016 it was just one kicking the balls after the other <laughs> If that's how you can you know think about it that's how it felt and i just you know i didn't want to bar of it and you know as i'm glad we we kept fighting because there was still a lot of a lot of good times after that um, with our racing, and it was no way for us to both finish our careers for sure.
0: Yeah, and I guess like hindsight's 2020, and and no one, well, like I said to Beth last week, no one even really thinks about it anymore. Like I don't, I don't think anyone sort of associates you or Beth with with doping, but I, I am really fascinated, fascinated about what it's like being in it, where it probably feels like. It's like all-consuming is this this battle you've got going, knowing you're innocent, but having having this maybe outside perception that you're not. How how was you like? What was the reception like amongst your fellow pros who you'd been competing with for you know years now? Were, were you have, were you having much conversation with them about it? Did you, did you feel like um, there was speculation around your name at the time?
1: Absolutely, absolutely none. All my all my very close training partners that I. would been you know doing all the hard yards with for years they all reached out with so much support and you know everyone was willing to to listen and and take it in and and I think that was probably something that probably went a little bit underappreciated from us at the time I think you know that because there was obviously the negative media to it and I guess I, I didn't feel like I got heavily associated with it myself but it was hard to watch, um, you know, Beth just get absolutely pummeled and, um, you know, I was obviously very defensive of her as her husband and just knowing, knowing the truth of it all. But the thing is, is that, you know, that's, that's the reality if, um, if you have had a, a positive, uh, test. So I think that's, you know, that, like I said, you know, I was, I was so appreciative of, of those that, you know, those really close friends you know i guess they're the only people that you really care about and i think to have you know 100 percent sort of support from those guys was was really appreciated
0: yeah and and i don't want to harp on the subject too much because it's like it's a bit of a downer subject and Mm. especially given what we've talked about with with your career just being so so bloody crazy um but something I am curious about is because, like, I look at you as just an absolute stalwart of the sport. Like, who has been in this sport longer than you, really? And <laughs> who, has, who has done more than what you have and achieved more than what you have and seen more than what you have? Did that experience change your view on, hey, like, there's real cheaters in this sport. Why are you focusing on, like, Beth, who clearly isn't? And, like, as, as, as clearly isn't as you can, as you can see for someone who's tested positive. But there's, you know – for twenty years, we've probably had cheaters in the sport in some way, shape, or form that aren't getting caught. What What was your feeling like around all that, or or do you think the sport is pretty clean and it would be a very like like very very small minority of people who actually are cheating?
1: I think you'd be naive to think that there are people that aren't cheat that aren't cheating. That's that's probably a given. But you know, I can only speak for ourselves. And uh, you know, I you know, I was I was just raised on hard work and and there's there's no way that I or Beth ever wanted to, to take a win in a race and know that it wasn't, you know, earned. And I, you know, I would swear on my, you know, my daughter's lives that I would never cheat in that way. I would, you know, I I just, I hate the thought of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was sort of just the, the time where I was just like, man, I've just lost so much faith in the sport here when I thought, you know we'd done nothing but like earn our place here and then you know to have it ripped away so yeah it was hard to swallow but i think at the same time there was a lot of people around us that held us together to keep fighting and to keep you know to keep positive and to to ultimately come back you know i think that was you know something that you know could have gone the other way and every, you know you were outcast and and people didn't want to bar of you but it was it was totally the opposite and it was it was probably what you know, allowed us to really get back into the sport, but also ultimately look at how we were going to exit it on a good terms as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, just to just to change tack almost completely, um, because I, I sort of I I want to really just focus in on on your training for a little bit because I've heard and been told, and and one of the reasons why I think even now looking back on, I, I admire you so much is I've heard from other people I admire how much they admire how hard you did work. Um, and so I'm really curious on like, do you remember a period of time where you just had like the best training block of your life where like you just were doing nothing but hard work and and what you were doing and and if you could take us inside inside that?
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, I had several of those experiences in my life where I feel like, had those pivotal training camps or experiences that really sort of propelled me forward each time and it you know without getting too nostalgic it probably went all the way back to 2000 when I was training with Craig Walton he was training for the Olympics in Sydney and I was just a 19 year old you know first year out of school you know wannabe uh, professional triathlete and I just you know, I got to be that fly on the wall and watch Waldo work so bloody hard day in, day out. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be one of his whipping boys and just be part of it. And I think, um, you know, watching Waldo prepare and execute his race at the Olympics sort of really set the tone for me in that, in that 2000 year. And then, you know, then 2001 going and training with Cole Stewart squad and seeing you know the who's who of the sport, just belting each other up day in day out. You know, Miles hit Miles Stewart, Chris Hill. Uh, who else was there? Maka was there. There was just anyone you could think of that was good in the world at that period of time was right. Was training in that in that squad. So that was another period that I think that just really helped elevate me and want me to pursue that career. You know, I'm just fresh out of school. I'm you know still trying to figure out what I want to do and but that really sort of confirmed that, you know, I wanted to be a, a pro triathlete. And then, you know, I went over to the States in you know, 02 and lived with Crowey and, and, you know, McKeeley Jones was a real sort of driving force between getting Crowey and I together and doing some training over there in San Diego. And that opened up a whole new world of the non-drafting racing to me, you know, as I guess growing up, growing up on, on all the F1 style stuff and the Olympic distance stuff, I just, you know, I'd I'd really found my calling then, you know, where I was able to, you know, it was my first experience riding time trial bikes and and these non-drafting races. So I think that was another time that really sort of propelled me forward. And then, you know, knowing that ultimately I wanted to do Ironman and, you know, a training camp in 2008 with Macca. Um, we did the Honu 70.3. Um, he was preparing for Roth maybe or, or Frankfurt or something. But I was, you know, I decided that I wanted to go and do Ironman Japan. So I did a really good solid month training block in May in Kona with, with Maka. And that um, that was another period that I think, you know, it was a big learning experience just being there, the, the fly on the wall watching what Maka was doing. And ultimately he won Kona not too long after that. Uh, no, just won Kona actually. So, um, you know, I just been been around these guys in those sort of, you know, times, I think that was, they were just some of the people that really rubbed off on me and I was, you know, I just admired their work ethic and, and I just tried to mimic it really in
0: mine. Yeah. Yeah. Like your story is just, it's just one of the best in triathlon. You've just, like I said, I've already said it to you and I feel like, I feel like maybe I'm just ball cupping you at this point, but you've just done so much and had such an amazing career. Um, I guess my last big question is, is what's next? What's, what's your life looking like now? And, and what are your goals now? Because it's hard to have that sort of athletic driven mindset for 20, 25 years and, and then just stop one day. So I assume you're still, you know, you still have that same mindset. You're just doing other things.
1: Yeah, no, I'm still very active. I'm still training every day. And I guess I don't call it training anymore. I guess it's just exercising really. It's no not really structured and it's when I, <laughs> it's, do what I want when I want. But, um, no, I, I you know, I last year decided that I wanted to try and run a fast marathon. You know, I think, you know, that's kept me quite busy. I you know, still haven't got to the start line of one because they keep canceling all these races that I enter. But, um, yeah, that sort of just things like that have been keeping me motivated and I guess just keeping my toe dipped in that water that, you know, I've, it's part of my life. I love being fit and healthy and, you know, I just have having something to work towards. So, hopefully in the next year or so I can run a marathon. And because I've, ironically, I've done over 40 Ironmans in my career, but never one straight marathon. So, <laughs> um, just want to try and see what sort of time I could set and it wouldn't be super fast, but I just want to do one. So, uh, yes, yeah, sort of keeping me busy and, you know, um, you know, running two businesses and, you know, having the kids, it's, I guess also keeps you very occupied. So I'm just loving being a dad. I'll just, you know, our kids are coming into a really great age now, seven and four, and they're really just, you know, getting to that age where they're starting to really get interested in sports themselves. And, you know, I think, I know that from, from my upbringing, you know, I was just, I just wanted to be part of everything when I was that age. So, you know, I'm just trying to, I guess, be like my dad and just be able to be there and supportive of whatever they want to do. And, and um, yeah, and just, enjoy watching them grow as athletes themselves and people
0: yeah mate. It sounds like a when you put it like that it sounds like a bit of a like a fairy tale ending almost just yeah. um massive career killing it killing it in the in the business world right now you know happy family two kids that you love it's it's a great story i'm uh, i'm actually walking away from this chat super motivated and and yeah just just almost like happy for you
1: <laughs> i don't know there's a few my points in there i try not to touch on those but you know i think Everyone should know the full story, and it's not. I mean, I think if there is anything to take away from this podcast is, you know, it's you. You will have setbacks, and there will be highs and lows, and you know, that's probably, a, probably a good sort of recap of how I experienced the sport, and it's probably no different to a lot of other people. There's, you know, you're not just going to be smooth sailing through the sport, and yeah. So, I mean, as much as it's about you know how they did it, I guess it's yeah, it's about you know, how you persevere as well.
0: Yeah. Great message. Hey, uh, just before I let you go, what time do you reckon you, you can run in a marathon? <laughs>
1: well, I, th- I think I was on for, I wanted to try and break two 30. I thought that was a, a reasonable goal. And, um, all my training leading up to the gold coast marathon last year indicated that, you know, I could hold that 3:33 pace or whatever it is to break the two 30 barrier, but yeah, man, I don't know. That was 16 weeks of build-up. I got super fit and it got within two weeks and then the rug got pulled out from under us there. that They cancelled the race on us. So I'm going to have to do the prep all again. I don't know. A year older, probably, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'd love to break 230, but um, yeah, I'll be happy just, you know, running a good fast time knowing that I gave it my all.
0: And do you think Gold Coast again this year, 2022?
1: I've deferred my entry and so is Beth. So I think, yeah, we'll probably both have a, have a crack at it, given that it's local to us and, you know, I guess it's the one of the bigger races in Australia um, each year. So should give us something to, you know, to work towards over the, during the next couple of months for sure.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, wow, I look forward to uh, following that. And, and, <laughs> and so there's pressure on you now to, to go out there and run 229 there.
1: There is, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just happy getting out each day and I, there's nothing more that I'd love just starting the day at, at sunrise with a run. So I think... The best. You know, if anything that gets me out the door each day to do that, then, then that's a good thing.
0: Awesome. Hey, yeah, like I've said 15 times now, but thanks so much for this. And yeah, that was a great chat and a chat I've wanted to have for a long time. So yeah, I really appreciate your time, Luke. And yeah, can't thank you enough for, for the open, honest insight.
1: Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've sort of... talked about my career so yeah forgive me for the loss of memory but yeah i appreciate you you know the support you've shown and just for hearing out the story i appreciate you bringing that to your listeners and hopefully they've learned something so yeah thanks mate
0: awesome yeah my pleasure thanks mate